Well, it is so good to be with you uh, here at Fairlawn for these sessions. Um, I am a house and lineage of David, um, number two in a line of, of six sons. And uh, some of you old folks, the gray hairs or the no hairs, remember my parents from <clears throat> back in those days. The week between Christmas and New Year's, Marilyn and I had opportunity to spend that week with my mom and dad in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, mother has been, was bedfast for the last several years, and my dad will be 93 if he makes it until Thanksgiving this year. Um, <clears throat> but as that week wore on, it became apparent that my mother was, was in her final days at uh, 90 and was going to be slipping away, and she did on New Year's Day. And that week as I was in her bedroom, uh, around that hospital bed there in her bedroom and, and singing to her and praying with her and weeping with her that week, I, I read the notes and looked at all the photos on her bulletin board and I was struck with a quote that she pulled from Oswald Chambers and I ran a copy of it. There's only one relationship that matters, and that is your personal relationship to a personal Redeemer and Lord. Let everything else go, but maintain that at all costs, and God will fulfill his purpose through your life. That is, for me, a focus of where I'd like to go Today, uh, this afternoon, tomorrow evening, Tuesday evening, just looking at relationships and how God works in relationships. Um, this morning, I'd like to go back to Eden and begin there and look at God's design um, and sort of unwrap that this morning and this afternoon. We won't get finished this morning, um, but I'll stop when it's time and then we'll just simply pick it up after lunch together. Tomorrow evening, I'd like to have Marilyn join me, and we'll give you a little window into our journey. We spent uh, 20 years in northwestern Ontario as missionaries. Some of you, I understand, have had opportunity to be in Red Lake and Stormer Lake and perhaps some of the other points north. Um, but 10 years ago, well, let's take it on back to 15 years ago or so. Uh, we were at, at probably the darkest point in our lives, uh, the darkest place that we had ever been. Um, we thought our marriage was over. Um, Marilyn had often asked through the years in some of those valleys that we experienced, she said, can't we talk to one of the pastors or can't we, let's, let's talk to somebody. <clears throat> But being the brilliant showalter that I am, um, I said, we don't need help. We, we can figure this out. Um, and eventually the Lord allowed us, allowed me to run aground. Um, and, and out of that, we'll tell you more about that tomorrow evening, but out of that the Lord took us into a ministry like Pastor Dwayne shared of just sitting with couples and thinking through the barriers to healthy relationships. And, um, and then we 
the Lord just sort of through an evolutionary process took us into ministry. Um, if you would have asked me 10 years ago if I would ever do this, I would have probably laughed in your face because I had absolutely no intention of doing that. It was just pure survival for us. Um, and we talked about, in those early years, we talked about the C word, counseling. Um, but I discovered that there's a lot of other men who are like me. Uh, we don't need counseling. Uh, it's, you know, just get my wife fixed and we'll be in good shape. Actually, I know I discovered a, a kindred spirit this morning uh, in Rod. He said on the way to church this morning, he told Shelly that it'd be good for her to get some counseling this week because he doesn't need any. <laughs> and so tomorrow evening, we'll look at, at the way the Lord let us get to the to the end of the road. Uh, Tuesday evening, I'd like to spend the whole evening just looking at the issue of, of bitterness and forgiveness and the, and the path uh, to freedom. So much of what I share won't be original with me. I've, I've stolen it from other thieves. I'll try to give credit uh, where I can. Um, <clears throat> hopefully, it will be a lot of review for you. It will be things that you already know, but perhaps it will put it in a, in a little different window for you. Uh, think of it as a seminar, um, as just a, a journey to the heart, uh, if you will. Um, my, my plan is not to put you on a guilt trip. Um, I'll let the Holy Spirit do that. If, if God wants to connect dots for you, that would be wonderful. Um, I want to just have the freedom to, to share as candidly as I can from my heart. And where God has been taking Marilyn and me, I'm not an expert. Uh, I'm, I'm just a, a wounded soldier and, uh, and want to sort of let you in on, on what God has been saying to me, saying to us. And um, in that, you may feel like there's at points some disconnect and that it doesn't register with you. And that's fine. Um, you can be wrong if you want to. I didn't say that. Um, no. We're not at the same place in our journey, and that's, and that's understandable. Uh, and it's, it's okay. But I'd like to just let you know, sort of give you a picture of where God is, has been taking us. And along the way, weave in stories of the, uh, from the men and the women and the, the single people that God has brought to us over these past 10 years. My prayer is that, that we can simply sit at Jesus' feet um, in, this, in these sessions and, and learn from him. Uh, there's the old familiar hymn um, that I'm guessing many of you know. Um, <clears throat> the chorus goes like this. Oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from where? The heart of God. I'm an old school teacher, and so I like it when you talk to me. Pastor Duane, is it okay if, they, if people talk? They can't hear you. Is it okay? Yes. Yes, you heard that. So uh, I want you to be relaxed. Uh, think of this as a classroom. If you had name tags, I'd call on you. Uh, but I can't do that. So I want this to be relaxed. Jesus came from the heart 
of a father, a father who, who yearns for relationship with, with you and me. All we have to do is look, um, hmm. all we have to do is to look at the incredible capacity for relationship that God has wired into the heart of a woman to understand the heart of God. Um, probably the most important thing that you and I can ever learn about the Father is, is that he yearns for relationship with you and me. Um, Jesus said in John 17, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And so the whole of Scripture, if you will, is a love story. It's a story of between God and his people. He yearns. He cares. He is a tender-hearted God. And the Old Testament prophets spoke in various ways about that. Uh, Jeremiah said in chapter 24, verse 7, I will give them, God said, a heart to know me, to know that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God. For they will return to me with all their heart. I don't know about you, but for me, it's just incredibly comforting to know that this universe that we live in is relational right at its core, that our God is a tender-hearted God, a God who, who reaches out, who longs, who yearns for connection, for relationship with you and me. He longs to be loved by us. <clears throat> I'd like to thank the worship team also for the ways that you led us to God. Great is your faithfulness, O God, your grace. Your grace is enough. Um, part of what I want to do in these, in these several sessions is to <clears throat> just raise, if, if we could, raise the level of grace that we experience. Would you agree with me? Would you agree with me that right here, together, right here, should be the safest place on the planet? Is that fair to say? That, that with God's people. Um, I don't know about you, but I've discovered that sometimes it's not all that safe uh, to be real, to be present. Now, I know not here at Fairlawn, but a lot of churches you know, it's, it's not safe to be uh, the person that God is, is leading you and, and helping you to, to be, or, or to be the person that you find yourself in, in brokenness or pain, whatever. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, it says, It's good. It is good for the heart to be strengthened or to be established by grace. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee, the songwriter said. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. In Hosea chapter 4, the prophet said this. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I don't know what 
you men, women, young people, I don't know what you do to stay busy, to put bread on the table vocationally. We are being hosted royally by new friends Ed and Betty, and I saw a, a sort of a, one of those magnetic signs that talked about, what, custom exteriors. So I have a, an idea what Ed does. The rest of you, I don't really know all that much. But what I know is that whatever it is, there is a body of knowledge. There are facts that you depend on and that you must have if you're going to be successful, if you're going to make it. And the prophet says here, if you don't get it, <laughs> if, there's, if there are things that you don't understand about marketing or inventory or the legalities of whatever you do or the tax code or the health code or whatever it happens to be, whatever the knowledge is, if you don't get it, <clears throat> you're going to have problems. You're not, you won't make it. And the prophet says to you and me, my people are destroyed because they don't get it. There are things that they don't understand. <clears throat> Amos chapter 8. The days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine for bread, nor of a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. In a more contemporary translation or, or um, paraphrase, people will drift from one end of the country to the other. They'll roam to the north, wander to the east. They'll go anywhere. Listen to anybody. Be suckered into all kinds of crazy stuff, just hoping to hear a word from God, but they won't hear it. <clears throat> you remember, um, I think it was Albert Einstein who gave us a definition of insanity. Does anybody remember what that is? What was it? You got it. Yeah, repeat Doing the same things <clears throat> over and over and yet expecting a different outcome or a different result. Now, I know you guys don't do that, but... Some places we do. Um, I don't know who your trustees or your custodians are, but if they would come into the building, you know, to get ready for a service on, on Sunday morning or on a Wednesday evening and walk into the sanctuary and, and flip the switch on, and nothing happens. Hmm, that's weird. And they try it again. And still nothing happens. And half an hour later, you come in and... Bless his heart, <laughs> he's still standing there by the switch. Maybe this time. Hasn't worked yet, but perhaps. You'd be calling for the guys in the white coats, taking them away, wouldn't you? Is it possible that there are times, that there are ways that you and I do that in life? Um, I yell at my kids. And they're, because they're scared to death, they're afraid of what might happen. They may cooperate, but it's not really working. Um, or I get a little sideways with Marilyn, and she's being a little contrary or whatever, and I decide it's time to teach her a lesson, right? And so I decide I'm just going to go silent. I'm going to give her the silent treatment for two or three days. That'll show her. That'll teach her a lesson, right? It hasn't worked yet, but this time it will. Did you hear the story of the 
of the couple that had had a big fight and they weren't talking for a couple days and he was headed out of town on a on a business trip and he needed to be at the airport at seven o'clock and he was just ready to ask his wife to, rem, to to make sure he doesn't sleep through his alarm in the morning and then he thinks Duh, I can't do that if I talk first she wins can't allow that to happen and then he gets a brilliant idea and he writes her a little note need to catch my flight at seven make sure I don't sleep through the alarm and he hands it to her and she smiles graciously and nods the next morning he wakes up at 7:30, and he is just fit to be tied and he's just he's ready to rip into her and destroy her with his tongue and he glances down on the nightstand and there's a note it's four o'clock you better get up some of you will get that tomorrow. <clears throat> There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 2. In the King James, I've read it numbers of times, it's like, it goes like this. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. A couple years ago, Marilyn gave me a copy of the message, which I used as my read-through. And I got to that chapter in the message and it starts off like this there's a day coming says the lord when the mountain of god's house will be the mountain solid towering over all of the other mountains and the nations will flow like a river toward it they'll say come let's go to the mountain of the lord let's go to the house of the god of jacob he'll show us the way he works so that we can live the way we're made and I sort of got stuck there. And I, th I thought, wow, what a picture. What a picture of my journey. I thought I was so smart. I, being a good husband, a missionary pastor, a dad, it couldn't be rocket science. I mean, I watch all you guys do that kind of thing, and you seem to be doing okay. And yet here I am 30 years in, and life is just unraveling at the seams. It's coming apart. And it's not working out the way I thought it was supposed to. And life looks incredibly dark. There were days that I didn't want to go on. And then I began to understand that there were a lot of ways that I didn't get it. I didn't understand how God works. There were bits of knowledge, and I was being destroyed because I didn't connect. I thought I, I thought I knew the rules of the game, and I thought I knew how this was supposed to work out, and that it was sort of a level playing field, but here I am 30 years in, and, and life is not working out that way. It, it feels like I'm just being smashed, and there was so much that I didn't get. The prophet Hosea said, come, let's return to the Lord. He's torn us. He'll heal us. He hit us hard, but he'll put us right again. God says, I'm after love that lasts. That's what I really want from you. Not just more religion, not just more prayer meetings, not more religious activities, but I want you to really know God. God created you and me for relationships, for critical relationships <clears throat> and we want to look at those if <clears throat> the best place to start is is back in the beginning 
And we could unwrap this in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and, and read a lot of this. I'm not going to take time this morning to do that. But number one, God, <clears throat> excuse me, God put Adam in the garden because he wanted a relationship with him. God would come in the cool of the day, it says, and just hang out just because he enjoyed being with Adam. He enjoyed his company. He enjoyed relationship, intimacy with him. He didn't go off to the other end of the universe, leave Adam all alone, but he, he was there. He was present. And then after Adam completed sort of that major task of naming the, the animals, um, then God brought Eve on the scene. Have you ever wondered why God didn't create Adam and Eve at the same time? Why did he wait for so long? Any ideas? I was in a seminar a couple weeks back in Kansas right after the weekend after the pastor's conference. And after, I asked that question. And the 12-year-old kid came up afterwards and he said, I know why God waited. I said, what was that about? He said he didn't want a big argument around naming the animals. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Was it because God wanted Adam to sort of wake up and understand that he wasn't complete? You know, he watched the animals and probably scratched his head and said, wait a minute, God, where's, where's mine? Remember there was a a guy that came to Jesus one time, and he said, so what is the number one commandment? And Jesus said what? You shall love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's it. And that's, that's the heart of relationship with God. But then when it comes to other people, Jesus said, do unto others. How? like you would have them do to you, the way you would like to be done by in relationship with other people. There's a, there's a third relationship that God planned for you and me with himself, with others, and with who? Right here. With me. With ourselves. A lot of times that one is... is the hard one to work out. Jesus, right after that first and greatest commandment, he said the second one's like unto it. You shall what? Love your neighbor. How? Like yourself. Have you ever, have you ever thought about it that there, there's a good chance that that's why there's so many problems in churches? We do that. I don't know about you, but I... I sit across the table from a lot of people who, when they look in the mirror, they really, really don't like what they see. They're not real happy with who they are. In fact, I bump into a lot of people who really dislike. It's not that they just, they don't like, but they dislike what they see. So then I come to church. <laughs> And I love the people around me just like I love myself. And it doesn't work out that well. I think that's what one of the things that Jesus was saying to you and me. Let every person think soberly 
about himself, herself, the way he ought to think. Not putting yourself on a pedestal, but to learn to see yourself in a healthy way. But you know, there's a wrinkle for you and me. God planned, the way God works is he planned for these relationships with you and me, but it's no different for us than it was for our first parents. Jesus said in John 10.10, he said that we have a vicious cutthroat enemy. In that verse, he called him the thief who comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's where we're stuck. And in the same way that the enemy came to our very first parents and tried to destroy their relationships... He does exactly the same thing with you and me. And he doesn't care how he gets the job done, but he wants to rob us of the very relationships that the Father plans for us. So, given a reality that God created you and me for relationships with himself, with others, with our own selves, wouldn't it make sense that if we have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Wouldn't it make sense that he would get the very richest gifts that the Father wants to give to you and me, that he wouldn't get those gifts in his crosshairs and say, not going to happen, not if I can help it. Does that make sense? Well, one of the wrinkles for you and me is that we forget what this battle is all about. We get confused. We somehow think that it's, it's God, that our, our, our struggle is with God or, or maybe with others, maybe with the, with the trustees or the elders or the, or the deacons or the pastor or these guys that run the sound or whoever adjusts the temperature or, or maybe my boss or the principal at school or whoever. But the battle we need to remember, we need to keep coming back. The battle is always, always, always with the enemy. Because his plan, his strategy, his... He wants to rob you and me of the joy in relationships that God planned for us from the very beginning. Someone said that in a child's first two years... That this drive, this longing to experience joy in loving relationships is the strongest force in life. For me, that's just profound. That's one of those ways that God works. He wired into you and me a longing for relationship, for connection, and to experience joy. And I could talk for the next hour and a half just about that part, if you will, of how God works. The problems that you and I face. Yeah, we have transmissions that go out and washers that plug up and run all over the laundry room floor and stuff like that. Tires that go flat. But would you agree with me that the real nitty-gritty of life, the problems that cause us the most grief are in these relationships. And we, we struggle to figure them out and to understand how to fix them. Marilyn and I were there. We would, we would sit together and we'd cry and we would pray and it felt like life did.
didn't make any sense. We couldn't figure it out. We'd leave feeling just utterly hopeless. And we were surrounded by pastors and missionaries and mission executives who, it seemed like they didn't know how to reach out to us. They didn't know how to help us. I I know that they would have, if they could have, would have known what to do. God's design for you and me, wired into our DNA, if you will, is a longing to get back to Eden. What's in Eden? Well, it's that relationship that Jesus talked about so often in the book of John. He said, I and my Father are one. (laughs) I don't do anything. I don't say anything unless it's what my Father is up to and what he's about. God wired that relationship into every single one of us. All you have to do is watch some little guy. What, a year and a half, two years old, crawl up on the, on the sofa beside his dad, and he's looking at dad, and he's, he's, he's trying to get his arms folded just like dad. Or he's trying to cross his legs, or he wants the suspenders, or he wants the boots, or the cap, or whatever. He just wants to be with dad. That's because that's how God works. And little girls, Marilyn goes to the thrift store and buys a big box of dress-up clothes, and our granddaughters come home. And, it, and that box is good for a week's worth of entertainment because they just love to dress up. And they'll come in and they'll twirl around and, Grandpa, what's the question? Am I, am I beautiful? Am I pretty? Exactly. I could spend a whole, again, just looking at how God works in terms of those kinds of questions. But God also put into you and me from our creation, from birth, a longing to be naked. Not physically naked, but naked emotionally, naked spiritually with the people around us to be safe, to be secure, to be intimate. And then... He's given us minds that, that want to be mature and want to be healthy. Want to see ourselves the way the Father sees us. But the enemy comes. And he brings all kinds of brokenness and division and separation and isolation. And buckets and buckets of pain. Because of that brokenness. Let's look just briefly at what this looks like. He wants to cut you and me off from the Father, from the Heavenly Father. He wants to bring a wall there in the same way. He came to Adam and Eve and he said, you got to be kidding. Did God really say that? No, that's not what God meant. And he put in all kinds of doubt, brought sin in to the picture, and he does the same thing with you and me. He wants to bring pain, misunderstandings in relationships with others, and he wants us to really, really not like ourselves. Let's look at that in a bit more detail. I bump into people who say, sure, I I know what the book says. God is love. And I believe that. But I'm not so sure. I I don't know that God really, really loves me. Or I come to church and I hear you talk about the ways God has answered prayer for you. And I say, it hasn't happened for me. Or I have this picture of God with sort of an angry glare on his face with a big stick just waiting for me to mess up so he can smash me. Marilyn and I were talking to a 
the daughter of a conservative Mennonite pastor. And I asked her at one point in a conversation, I said, so what do you think about God? What, when you think of God? She said, oh, I'm, it's like he's holding me out over the edge of a cliff, and the minute I do something wrong, he's going to drop me. Then I began to understand why she didn't really want to get all that close to God. She said, when I pray, it seems like he's on the other end of the universe. I wouldn't want to get close to that kind of God, and that's what, that's what the enemy wants to do is bring separation. Or God with this angry scowl just saying, are you having fun yet? Cut that out. And we keep a blanket, a, a wet blanket on all of life, and life needs to be serious, serious business. When it comes to other people, people can't be trusted. Relationships are, are erratic and capricious. And so i I just build a wall around my heart. Or men are just stupid, you know. They have one-track minds. They only ever think of one thing. Or, you know, a woman's God-given job description is to always be whining and complaining. You, you never, ever please them. Or maybe I'm in a marriage and I say, this is as good as it gets. I'm stuck here and it's where we're going to stop. Or I come to church and I see some of you guys standing around out here in a huddle with your coffee cups, and you're excited, and you're talking about stuff, and I'm off, at this, I'm off to the side. And it feels like I'm invisible, like nobody even sees that I'm there. Or maybe I look inside, and I say, I'll never make it. I'll never be successful. I'm no good. Or maybe I was deeply, deeply hurt when I was a four-year-old or an eight-year-old or ten, somewhere along the line, and I come out fighting mad and I'm angry and I say, I was helpless and vulnerable back then, but nobody, nobody will ever hurt me like that again. Or if you're a real man, you don't show emotions. You don't cry or emotions are really really no good. And so the question then that comes to you and me, out of, out of the enemy's attack and out of his determination that you and I will never ever get to a place of intimacy with the Father, where we know, like Steve and I were talking this morning, where we know way down deep that he's just a good dad and that he loves us so much. And like Paul talks about, we can come and say, Papa, Daddy, Abba. Because we know that he has a big heart toward us. And when we come to other people, that we're okay. We, we don't have an agenda. Ken Davis said this, some of you know Ken Davis from what is it, that little lighten up and live or whatever. He said, there is no greater freedom than in learning to live as if you have nothing to prove, nothing to hide, and nothing to lose. I'm not there, <laughs> but I'm going that direction just as fast as I can. That's, that's how I want to live, with nothing to prove. And I'll... I'll well, that's really sort of at the heart of why Marilyn and I will share our story tomorrow evening. It's, it's not pretty. 
And yet, I want to get to the place where I have nothing to prove. This is where God is taking me, and I'm so excited in this journey. I don't have anything to hide. It's okay. And I'll tell you more about why that is so profound for me. It's dynamite, the Father that you and I have. And I don't have anything to lose. It's all his anyway. But the question, the question for you and me is, what do we do with that stuff? The things that happen to us because we have an enemy who wants to rob us of connection with the Father. Connection with a husband or a wife. Good, strong, healthy relationships with our kids when they're little, with our teenagers and with our adult kids now that are married, with our grandkids. So that when they think about home, they're not saying, yeah, half a day at Christmas is all I need with mom and dad. But they can't wait just to hang out together.